If you're reading along with us, let's turn to page 293. This is the chapter, Babaji Yogi Christ of Modern India. Where were we? Ah. No limit in facts. Just above, no? Mm. Great prophets, maybe. Did we do this? Babaji is well aware of the trend of modern times, especially the influence in complexities. Okay. Okay, then. That there is no historical reference to Babaji need not surprise us. The great guru has never openly appeared in any century. The misinterpreting glare of publicity has no place in his millennial plans. Like the creator, the sole but silent power, Babaji works in a humble obscurity. It's an interesting thing about Mahavtar Babaji, isn't it? That his particular role has nothing to do with being present in our lives in a, in a physical sense. You know? Even though he's decided to keep his body incorrupt and you know, hold this form for centuries, millennia, you will hear later on where he says, you know, for essentially this entire planet, for this entire cycle of what this planet survives, I will hold this body. But in doing so, he doesn't have any interest in coming out constantly and making this fact known so much from a personal level. It's lovely that he's made this fact known to us through others, you know, which is sweet because otherwise we would never even know of his presence per se. But it's also an interesting thought to think of perhaps the greatest, most amazing, most powerful being on earth. You know, if we see it from that perspective, you know, a superman almost, but that his role has nothing to do with being known from that perspective. It's a, it's a wonderful kind of humbling thought for each of us as well we have nothing to offer we have no power at all we have you know absolutely zero realization when especially if we compare ourselves to any saint yet you know there's this thought inside us that uh, we, we, know. we we're something you know we're, we're worth somebody we need to be known we need to be heard we need to be felt we need to be experienced we need to be you know, whatever it is and imagine the contrast that we see between Babaji and us. And this is what Yogananda is saying, like the creator, like God himself, the sole but silent power. Even God has decided to be in obscurity. <laughs> Even he doesn't come and say, aha, dekho, mere se tum jite ho, mere se tum marte ho. You know, none of that stuff. Even he is not interested, except to those very few, very sincere, very dedicated souls who make it their mission, lifetime after lifetime, to seek him. To them, Babaji's kind of gives much more of his presence than otherwise he would do for centuries that he has done. Any thoughts you have, Narayan? No. Great prophets like Christ and Krishna come to earth for a specific and spectacular purpose. They depart as soon as it is accomplished. Other avatars, like Babaji, undertake work which is concerned more with the slow evolutionary progress of man during the centuries than with any one outstanding event of history. 
Such masters always veil themselves from the gross public gaze and have the power to become invisible at will. For these reasons, and because they generally instruct their disciples to maintain silence about them, a, numbering, a number of towering spiritual figures remain world unknown. I give in these pages on Babaji merely a hint of his life, only a few facts which he deems it fit and helpful to be publicly imparted. Now, since this book came out, there have been other kind of details of at least what people believe to be Babaji. You know, oh, he was born in a certain village. This is the particular day he was born. This is his life. At this age, he left. He found his guru. You know, there's this whole, there's an entire katha. You know, there's an entire story based on, you can say, the legends of Babaji. But, um, and I say this primarily to those of us who are disciples of this path, because for those of you who, you know, who have found your inspiration from other lineages and other ways, you're more than free, of course, to experience, express, to seek Babaji and others in, in the way that your guru or your understanding guides you. But for us, those of us who are disciples, it's very helpful for us and it's very important for us to tune into Babaji in the way that our guru kind of presents him to us because these are the facts that Babaji himself deems fit to be publicly imparted. Means to us at least. With what others want to do, that's of course their own journey. But if Babaji has specifically placed both that thought, placed that intention, placed that order, you can almost say to Yogananda and says, this is, this is as much as I want for you to reveal, because it's through that prism that he wants us to attune to him. He doesn't want us to think about where was he born and which, which tree, under which tree did he sit and you know, what was his birthday, what was his favorite pudding, you know, it's just none of that is how Babaji wants us to relate to him, purely from that state of consciousness. Other masters, and this is the beauty of having uh, your guru, right? Other masters, you can relate to them in many different ways, in many human ways. Oh, Yogananda, you know, he really ingested, you were talking about, what was his favorite sweet dish? And you're like, oh, he really loved mangoes. And you know, he had this kind of a sense of humor. And in these situations, this is how he acted. And that allows us to have that human, you can say, relatability of what the spiritual perfection might look like in a day-to-day -day life. But with Babaji, that's not his intention. If that was his intention, he would come out more. He would just, you know, say, look at me, I'll look at the body I hold, you know, this is what you need to do and that is what you need to do. He's working silently through these other great masters. He's giving them their missions, their, you know, particular roles to be fulfilled. And he's given each of them, perhaps. And that's why we're, I'm saying this is unique to a certain level to us as disciples, as those of us who say this is our path. This is the particular slice he's given Yogananda. And this is the slice through which each of us as devotees and disciples will attune ourselves more powerfully. The more we look for other facts around Babaji's life, the more I think we confuse. scatter and confuse that fine, you can say, frequency of attunement that he's already created for us. No limiting facts about Babaji's family or birthplace dear to the analyst's heart 
have ever been discovered. His speech is generally in Hindi, but he converses easily in any language. He has adopted the simple name of Babaji, revered father. Other titles of respect given to him by Lahiri Mahasha's disciples are Mahamuni Babaji Maharaj or the supreme ecstatic saint. Mahayogi, greatest of all yogis. Trambak Baba and Shiva Baba, titles of avatars of Shiva. But does it matter that we know not the patronomic, patronymic of an earth-released master? So here, Yogananda is posing us a question. What difference would it make? Patronymic means um, to know your lineage of ancestry. You know, what's your father's name and what was your grandfather's name and so on and so forth. And, and Yogananda is saying, does it really matter that we can't establish like one of these, you know, what's Babaji's last name and who his father was and, you know, what did he do? Because sometimes we get far more entangled in those details than liberated by those details. Anything you want to say, Narayani, before we Probably go? in the next paragraph. In the next paragraph, okay. Whenever anyone utters with reverence the name of Babaji, Lahri Mahashaya said, that devotee attracts an instant spiritual blessing. Well, <laughs> I'm sure there is a lot to be said here, but I'm going to focus only on an aspect of it. And I think Yogananda gives us the secret here how to invoke the presence of Babaji, which is with reverence. And that's the secret ingredient. It's not about how we want to call Babaji the name we choose. It's not about how many times we are repeating Babaji's name. It's not about how loud we are you know, calling out his name. It's about which, with which reverence, humility, and magnetism we draw his presence into our lives. It's the intensity in which we call his name. And this happens as well when we apply this way of praying uh, in our own prayers, our own personal prayers, so many times I have found myself praying absent-mindedly. Mm. And whenever I become aware that I'm just mumbling those words, but my mind and my heart are completely somewhere else, it's just come back and I repeat the whole prayer again. And, and I think these paragraphs, paragraph, means that. Don't become too uh, obstinate with this is how, you know, I'm going to call Babaji, or this is how many times I'm repeating his name, and how, you know. This is the mantra This I'm is doing. the mantra, you know, like, okay, that's fine, go for it, but are you repeating it with reverence, with humility, with intensity, with devotion, with the awareness that he is already by your side. And that's how we should call, not just only to Babaji, but to your guru, to any master that you have a connection with, to God himself. So this is a good reminder of perhaps uh, 
bringing more conscious awareness to our prayer and when we call out to any of these gurus. The deathless guru bears no marks of age on his body. He appears to be no more than a youth of 25. Fair-skinned, of medium build and height, Babaji's beautiful strong body radiates a perceptible glow. His eyes are dark, calm and tender. His long lustrous hair is copper colored. So these are just, you know, some beautiful visuals for us mm -hmm. in our own way. Of course, we have this one photograph or not even actually a photograph. It's a, uh, an artist's rendition based on Yogananda's description of Babaji. And really, that's the only thing we have. There are other slight variations that are also now, you know, around and circulating. Mm -hmm. But they're all more or less just that, you know, that particular uh, image that we've all etched in our minds. But sometimes, you know, when I read this, I just close my own eyes and I kind of try to create an image of my own to a certain degree of what Babaji might feel like, you know, in, in my heart almost. Because again, even the very body he has chosen to hold for centuries in no way defines limits or <laughs> holds that this is Babaji. Because as we will see later on, he just... He can change his form at any time. He can come in any particular way he wants. I, I love the adjectives that Master chooses to share Babaji's consciousness and energy. His eyes are dark, calm, and tender. Mm. It's not about power. It's not about, you know, strength. It's not about, you know, being the master, you know, the king of the king. It's about tenderness, compassion, love for us, patience, and understanding. All that consciousness through that word, tenderness. And I was thinking, I would love to look at other people with this kind of eyes. And if I really want to be in tune with Babaji's power, tenderness has to be there as well. So I, I really loved that the adjective that he chose was tenderness. A very strange fact is that Babaji bears an extraordinarily exact resemblance to his disciple Lehri Mahashaya. The similarity is so striking that in his later years, Lahiri Mahashaya might have passed as the father of the youthful-looking Babaji. That's, I don't know what to really call that, because of course Babaji's held his body for centuries and centuries and centuries, and Lahiri Mahashaya comes, you know, in this one incarnation as Lahiri Mahashaya. So either he chose like a, a you know, a a, a very similar. similar connection, both even outwardly and inwardly, but it does speak to a certain degree of the unity of their consciousness. Almost even their physical features, their consciousness was so as one that even the body that was spun around, you know, woven around that consciousness was so similar. And to think of you know, Babaji being his guru, but as the age of Lehri Mahashaya shifts, 
to be now is like he looks more like his father and, and babaji looks like the son and a beautiful concept not to contemplate that the guru eventually takes even the physical appearance of the guru no the disciple takes that from the guru it's not just only the qualities and the blessings and all that but you know like th- there is even a similarity that happens as well swami ji would tell us that um you know whenever he had to think about yogananda his guru and kind of try to visualize him and hold him he said he some often would have a hard time recollecting the exact way yogananda looked and you know it was a surprising thing so somebody asked him why is that and he says because whoever yogananda was with if you see in fact some of yogananda's photos they are just wildly you know varied sometimes he's looking like very portly and big sometimes he's looking a little thin and slender sometimes he looks tall sometimes he looks short you know sometimes there's a lot of power coming sometimes there's so much sweetness coming and if you see people next to him uh, swami ji said that whenever he stood with somebody he took on a certain kind of bhav his consciousness almost you can say even molded to a certain degree his physical features to blend more with the person that he was with isn't that just a kind of i mean it's it's beyond something we can truly comprehend but another interesting fact on more on our level is sometimes you'll see couples that have been together for many years beginning to start to look a little bit alike <laughs> pets and their yeah, owners yeah. sometimes you know just totally. take on this real like because wherever there is this love and this desire to unite that unity starts to take place mm-hmm. on all levels yeah in the mahabharat it says all of krishna's soldiers looked mm-hmm. like krishna because all of them wanted to represent him all of them said that's our you know pole star and that's who we are protecting mm-hmm. and that's who our life is for and so they all took on to a certain degree of course that's also the esoteric meaning is that the consciousness all of yogananda's soldiers will take on in time the consciousness of yogananda not only just the physical features but the fact that the consciousness can extend into physical features is itself an amazing thought Swami Kebalananda my saintly sanskrit tutor spent some time with baba ji in the himalayas the peerless master moves with his group from place to place in the mountains kebalananda told me his small band contains two highly advanced american disciples <laughs> that's a interesting kind of side note yeah. he's put in there there are two american because somehow when we think of baba ji or when we think you know especially being indians we get so proud and so like our heritage and this is our traditions and this is these are our saints and so on and so forth and uh, you know yogananda really broke that mold and even left the country to be able to show that souls everywhere are ready to be awakened but even within baba ji's tiny little immortal flock as he called them they're two american means there were two devotees who were born american at some point found baba ji attained immortality in his presence and have also held their american bodies because it makes no difference to them and the soul is neither american indian chinese you know japanese mexican korean none of it really matters and the representation also of the unity between east, east and west and yeah. west you know it's like sometimes what we believe has so strongly been manifested 
in our daily lives, into the people we interact, into our words, into our actions. Everything that we do should exemplify those things that we are representing, mm. that we are working for, that we are helping with. And it's fascinating that even his own, as you were saying, a small group, a bar, yes, from you know souls who have incarnated in the West, um, felt keeping their bodies, but the underneath, you know, example that this means, like if Babaji was very consciously working with Christ to unite East and West, that's what is also manifested with the kind of disciples he was working with. He united both of them, and in that unity, that small group was working together towards that goal. Mm, nice. After Babaji has been in one locality for some time, he says, Dera Danda Uthau, or let us lift our camp and stuff. He carries a symbolic danda or a bamboo stuff. His words are the signal for moving with his group instantaneously to another place. He does not always employ this method of astral travel. Sometimes he goes on foot from peak to peak. I imagine when he wanders, like, let's walk, let's, let's use these legs for a moment. I know we can just disappear and reappear whenever we want. Babaji can be seen or recognized by others only when he so desires. He is known to have appeared in many slightly different forms to various devotees sometimes without beard and moustache and sometimes with them. As his undecaying body requires no food, the master seldom eats. As a social courtesy to visiting disciples, he occasionally accepts fruits or rice cooked in milk and clarified butter. So always have fruits in your house and always have some kheer in your house, just in case Babaji decides to come. But um, we've said this before, and it just bears being repeated over and over again, is Babaji can really just take whatever form he wants. Babaji can be in your life at any given time. In fact, Babaji is not even limited by a, one body in the sense that he could be in a thousand different places if he so chose. And it helpful, helps us to see Babaji in that way. Because if you think of him as... Oh, this immortal guy up in the Himalayas, you know, just kind of impersonally pulling the strings of this world. That's not his purpose. His purpose is not the world, because the world, what is the world? His purpose is us. Every soul is his responsibility. Every soul is his responsibility. Every soul is his. I mean, it's just, it's very important for us to completely understand this fact. You are his responsibility, we are his responsibility. Everybody, everywhere, the worst of the sinners, the greatest of the saints, all of them, Babaji, can you imagine he holds them all? I mean, Yogananda would tell us that he could hear her and see and feel and experience all thoughts of all of his disciples, both that which they've already had, that which they will have. And because he's taken on that responsibility, I'm responsible for my disciples, Babaji, you can expand that to say he's responsible for every soul. 
and he's tuning into everybody at all times. And so whether he's going to ever physically visit you or not, whether he's going to change his form, whether he met, was with you on the bus, you know, day before yesterday and you didn't realize it, it just doesn't matter because he's always with you. He's always watching you. He's always responsible for you. And if he's responsible for us, kind of makes us feel we should be responsible as well towards him in our actions, in our thoughts, in our expressions, in our whatever it is, in our meditations, you know, just be mindful of the fact that Babaji is just always there, always listening, always perceiving, always trying to guide us if he finds a little opening in our consciousness to allow for that guidance. Two amazing incidents of Babaji's life are known to me, Kebalananda went on. His disciples were sitting one night around a huge fire which was blazing for a sacred Vedic ceremony. The master suddenly seized a burning log and lightly struck the bare shoulder of a chela who was close to the fire. Sir, how cruel! <laughs> Lahiri Mahashaya, who was present, made this remonstrance. Would you rather have seen him burned to ashes before your eyes according to the decree of his past karma? With these words, Babaji placed his healing hand on the chela's disfigured shoulder. I have freed you tonight from painful death. The karmic law has been satisfied through your slight suffering by fire. I like this story because from all the disciples, <laughs> the first one to complain about that episode was Lahiri Mahashaya. <laughs> and I was thinking, not just only he complained about it, but this is us judging when karma comes to us, how painful it is and how you dare to do that or to send that to us, why this is happening to me. So in a sense, Lahiri Mahashaya's remark was what each one of us go through every time that karma hits us. Why? Because we don't understand what's going on. It's only after Babaji, there's Lahiri Mahashaya, look, don't worry, I know what's happening here. <laughs> Allow me to go through this. Allow him to, you know, go through a little pain. It's not going to be as much as he should have gone through just a little painful experience, but it's saving him from something worst. Uh, worst? Worse. Worse. And I was thinking like, wow, this is really each one of us. When something unpleasant come to us, comes to us, when something that we just really don't like, we, we just tend to complain about it. We don't allow Mm, that karma, the time to unfold mm. itself, to become obvious to us that, wow, that's exactly what I needed, or who knows what I have been saved from. And, and in a sense, it made me realize last night, like, wow, do I give him Babaji on a regular basis enough time? And, and enough, you know, opportunities to work with my own karma. And the majority of times, no. 
I just jump into conclusions that have nothing to do with the reality of what's happening to us. So I, I really liked this moment of how also Lahiri Mahashaya somehow was just, you know, <laughs> representing, from, representing all of us. All of us. <laughs> it's also a beautiful image for us to, you know, as Narayani was saying, it's like, Anytime something happens, it's, it's a beautiful image for us to see Babaji with that stick yeah. kind of consciously burning, <laughs> consciously, you know, put, placing that fire upon his own disciple. And if we can hold that, anything's happening to us. I don't like this thing. I don't like that thing. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, this disease. Oh, you know, these people. Oh, whatever. Oh, my boss. You know, oh, there it is. You know, there's Babaji just consciously there because, and this is the beauty here. Babaji didn't just sit there and say, you know you were going to die right now and I've already taken your karma, <laughs> you know. The law of karma needs to find fulfillment. Always. The question of course is, will it find complete fulfillment or will just a little bit suffice? And so much of it depends on our attunement to the gurus because who's going to take the rest? The universe isn't. The universe, you know, it runs on time. It needs its due it's not going to say, Ki, achha, it, I, you know, I owe this guy a hundred painful experiences and yeah, okay, I'll, I'll only give him five. Who takes the 95 painful experiences? Our Guru. He takes those experiences upon himself. So be very, 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 very mindful, very grateful. And again, the word comes again and again, humble for every experience that comes your way. For you do not know how much of that has had to go another way. Because the law of karma will always, always find fulfillment. You cannot fool it, you cannot run from it, you cannot I mean you hide can from it. push it only to find it again behind the next door. You cannot hide from it. But what you can do is be ready for it and then the guru steps in. The disciple didn't complain, you see. That's the key part here. Lahiri Mahashaya kind of said, whoa, what's going on here? The disciple took it. The disciple didn't say, oh, Babaji, what You know, nothing. The disciple just took it. Because the disciple knew, of course, Lahiri Mahashaya also knew, because, you know, these stories have to play out in a way that we get to know what's going on here. But, you know, so let's just... Be mindful and remember this image perhaps to a certain degree of there it is, Babaji is always with that, always with that log of burning fire and, and every that, now and then. And that word also, painful. Hmm. I mean, when there is real karma to work on, it's a little bit painful. It hurts and sometimes it comes through physical pain, through a disease, through something and sometimes comes through emotional pain. Hmm. Sometimes it comes in the form of doubt and sometimes in the form of confusion and it's painful not knowing what's happening. It's painful to overcome certain tendencies. It's painful to bring ourselves out from negativity. It's painful when we judge other people. I mean, we can feel there is a certain pain there that needs to be overcome. So I, I like also the, the concept, not, not necessarily karma has to be painful, but if there is pain, there is a good sign. 
That means that there is something that needs to be purified. And here we can see through the image of fire, which means purification. Karma needs to be purified. And it's so amazing, these stories. Yes. That you can just find so many little things. And the next one's even more amazing. Chalo. Let's read. On another occasion, Babaji's sacred circle was disturbed by the arrival of a stranger. He had climbed with astonishing skill to the nearly inaccessible ledge near the camp of the master. Sir, you must be the great Babaji. The man's face was lit with inexpressible reverence. There's that word again. For months I have pursued a ceaseless search for you among these forbidding crags. I implore you to accept me as a disciple. When the great guru made no response, the man pointed to the rocky chasm at the feet, at his feet. If you refuse me, I will jump from this mountain. Life has no further value if I cannot win your guidance to the divine. Jump then, Babaji said unemotionally. I cannot accept you in your present state of development. The man immediately hurled himself over the cliff. Babaji instructed the shocked disciples to fetch the stranger's body. When they returned with the mangled form, the master placed his divine hand on the dead man. Lo, he opened his eyes and prostrated himself humbly before the omnipotent one. You are now ready for discipleship. Babaji beamed lovingly on his resurrected chela. You have courageously passed a difficult test. Death shall not touch you again. Now you are one of our immortal flock. What a story, isn't it? So many layers to it. How many layers can you find in this story? The first and foremost is just the sheer amount of energy this man put to find Babaji. I mean, how many of us, we can read these stories and we can get extremely fascinated and we can say, oh, wow, and how many of us just leave right now out there for months climbing mountain after mountain, you know, <laughs> suffering in that cold, probably not a, something to eat. I mean, it's just like, imagine first, the amount of energy it takes to seek, not just Babaji, to seek God, takes a lot of energy. After putting out all this energy, we think, oh, I meditated for, you know, one hour today. I've put out so much energy. I was, you know, I didn't shout at that person when I really wanted to shout at him. I put out so much energy. Oh, I'm reading all these spiritual books. I'm putting out all this energy. And, you know, it's nothing compared to what this man was doing, searching for Babaji. But at the end of it all, what happens? We then say, okay, I've put out all this energy. I've come now. I hope you're going to accept me. I hope you're going to change me. I hope you're going to transform me. I hope you're going to fix my life because that's why I've been putting all this energy out because this is what I hope will happen. And so he says, will you accept me as your disciple? The interesting thing I find here is the guru made no response. You know, it's not like Babaji explained to him anything from, from the first question. Will you accept me as your disciple? There's silence. 
and that silence is a key reality in all of our lives you know most of us experience silence we're talking to master master this that tell me this show me this silence do this do that silence i mean how many of us like hear master say oh i will do that bachcha but if you only do that and this and six other things then i can do that for you they don't explain anything to us do they silence but in that silence the man himself realized he picked something up in that silence and he said he realized more is needed see he he wasn't even worthy to receive a response from baba ji he hadn't put out enough yet more was needed and what was the more that he was willing to give his very life if you do not accept me because he wasn't taking no for an answer i'm going to jump off and then once he spoke those words and said i'm going to do more i'm going to give you more if you cannot accept me i will be willing to go all the way till the very end to prove to you my love prove to you my worthiness then baba ji says jump then then he tells him once the man has put out that thought if he had said baba ji why why won't you accept me i've just come so long and please 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 baba ji probably just stayed in silence and that's how we are please master why this why isn't this happening why isn't that happening why am i not going deep why am i not overcome this habit yet and there's silence none of us say oh okay i'm going to do more or right, i'm going to give even more i'm going to give the absolute last drop of my being then if you say that and there's an actual sincerity there then baba ji says jump then unemotionally i like that word i cannot accept you in your present state of development jump then and then it's not ki oh oh you are willing to jump acha acha then theek hai koi nahi you know that's how we keep hoping that master if you don't do this i'm dekhna main puri raat jag ke aapke you know japa karunga and meditate karunga then master says <laughs> do that <laughs> you know, don't think that you can be i can be bought by words i can be bought by your emotion show me prove it to me will you jump because the way you are right now i cannot accept you as my disciple the way you are right now i cannot come into your meditation the way you are right now i cannot transform you i cannot purify you the way you are right now there is no room for me to do anything with you so you're going to have to jump if you are truly serious and then that's what the man does yeah not a thought not a moment's hesitancy because baba ji says jump then i cannot accept you he understood this was the only way to do it he didn't jump emotionally he didn't jump <laughs> if you won't accept me i'm going to you know how we get like <laughs> you know jumping he he picked it up ah jump then that's the answer right there baba ji wants me to jump baba ji is not challenging me baba ji is not saying dikha de mujhe tu kya kar sakta hai jump then i cannot accept you in this present state and that's true for all of us god cannot accept us in our present state what are you going to do are you going to jump or are you going to walk away from the cliff and quietly make your way back you know into the world of men and say oh i tried but it didn't work out and then of course he's raised now he's purified that whole per- you know, he lived an incarnation in that moment and now he was ready because he gave absolutely everything now he was ready hmm? now you are ready for discipleship yeah i was thinking that 
this really represents that the closer we get to God, the more will be asked of each one of us. Mm. And to the point that our death itself, and I try to see here death for many of us uh, in the form of our own personality, our own likes and dislikes, our own desires, our own habits, our own everything that we have created about us, even our own lifestyle. All these things need to, at some point, be destroyed and be rebuilt again. And that takes courage, the courage to jump off the cliff, the courage of become a new person uh, with a new, different approach to life. And for many of us, it takes a full lifetime or many lifetimes for this disciple just took a matter of seconds. He didn't even doubt. He wasn't even afraid. I mean, I just love the fact that, you know, Babaji also trusted that the disciple was ready to take his next step. And that's the trust that he has with each one of us. But do we trust the process? Are we willing to make the effort to transform ourselves? And sometimes we are not willing even to let go of an opinion. And we just hold on on that opinion so strongly that we just don't let it go. You are not, we are not ready to, to let that thought, that concept, that judgment just to jump off the cliff. And the truth is like Babaji is asking very little of us, <laughs> very little. And we are sometimes not even capable to offer him that much of ourselves. So something to ponder about, to meditate about, and, and make sure that every day we are offering up. We are just giving something of ourselves that, you know, will take us closer and closer to Babaji, to the light, to God. Oh, that's a nice image. Mm -hmm. Every day some aspect of us should, should jump, jump off, off that cliff. cliff. You know, every day we should make ourselves a little bit more ready for discipleship. Yeah. All of us who say we are disciples of Yogananda, you know, it, it's, we don't know if he's accepted us fully yet. We've at least made that first thing saying we want to be disciples, which is a great start. But I think little by little we have to make sure we are making ourselves worthy of discipleship, that mm -hmm. a part of us, those parts of us that we hold on to the strongest, in fact. I mean, what, what is the one thing this man would be clinging to the most? His own life. Yeah. I mean, everything else he's given away. He's come here, he's left all his possessions, he's left whoever, maybe he had a family, maybe he didn't, I, I just don't know. The only thing remaining, the one thing remaining, the last thing remaining, the only thing he thought he could continue to hold on to with Babaji was his own life. And so the things that we hold on to the strongest are the very things that we need to see jumping off that cliff. Mm -hmm. And if we can do it, great. If we can't do it, 
We just not a big deal. We have other it's incarnations. Like, like Krishna ahead. said, <laughs> if your ego just makes you decide that you don't want to fight, as he told Arjuna, that's all right because you're going to have to fight no matter what. It's just what's going to happen. You want to play? You want to be a little baby right now? Be a baby right now. You're going to have to deal with it later. And you know, it, really, for Babaji, it's no big deal. I'm here for all incarnations for millennials. I'll see you in your next incarnation. And I'll probably not even see you in your next incarnation because chances are you'll still hold on just as strongly in that incarnation until, you know, blow after blow of Maya, of karma, of your own soul screaming desperately for release. Until that doesn't happen, almost no one really wants to change. And that's also in self-honesty each of us have to come to. But at least we have examples of people who can do what we can only dream of doing. What we may fool ourselves to think we could have done too if we were in their position, but we can't do the little things that Nahaini just said to do. So we probably won't be able to be this man. I was thinking that some people come to us and tell us, I'm ready to leave everything and just go to the Himalayas and just find Babaji and just meditate and be with him. Well, guess what? I mean, be ready for whatever he will ask you the moment he sees you, you know, coming from a distance. And are you ready really to do absolutely anything he will ask of you? And in this case, let's say anything that God asks of us. So think it twice and see if you want to give yourself a little bit more time to get ready to face Babaji when the time comes. We have two minutes, so we'll just finish this next paragraph. An avatar lives in the omnipresent spirit. For him, there is no distance inverse to the square. Only one reason, therefore, can motivate Babaji in maintaining his physical form for century to century, the desire to furnish humanity with a concrete example of its own possibilities. Were man never vouchsafed a glimpse of divinity in flesh, he would remain oppressed by the heavy mayic delusion that he cannot transcend his mortality. Jesus knew from the beginning the sequence of his life. He passed through each event not for himself, not from any karmic compulsion, but solely for the upliftment of reflective human beings. His four reporter disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, recorded the ineffable drama for the benefit of later generations. You know, these great masters, who knows what game they are playing? They know everything, they, they've experienced it all in omnipresence, in eternity, yet they come and they're willing to play out these little dramas, yet they come and are willing to go through just countless trials and tribulations, countless doubts and confusions from their own disciples, countless accusations and, you know, just countless betrayals and, I mean, it's just amazing how they would do that. And they're not doing it even for those just around them. They're doing it knowing that so many centuries down the line, this is going to help that one person. I love the word over here, for reflective human beings. That's who they are doing this for. 
300 years later, somebody will read this book and say, oh, wow, Babaji, huh? Let me try this. 300 years later, somebody reads this story and says, let me also go and see if I'm willing to give my life in this particular way. It's for those individuals that these great saints and the beauty is eventually every soul will be in that position. Every soul after lifetimes would get to the point where they would be reflective, where they would be open, where suddenly they would say, there has to be more. And for them, as Babaji decided to keep his body throughout, still in obscurity, still far away, but little whispers are coming now into the world. There's a man by the name of Babaji and he's immortal and he lives in the Himalaya sometimes. <laughs> the devotees bring like a, a spouse or a, you know, or a friend or something and they'll all come and say, he's that guy. He's that, you know, pointing at the altar and say, remember I was telling you that guy who never dies, it's that guy. And you can see each time in people, you know, it's like some of them are skeptical, some of them are like, oh really, wow, and curious, and they want to know more. Some of them immediately become reverent. And you can just see by the very whisper that there is somebody out there holding his body immortal in charge of this world. And what, does, what our reaction to that knowledge kind of to a certain degree tells us where we are. And that's, that's why he's doing this, to see how each of us would be open to that possibility and who among us would say, I want that. That's what I want to experience. And then set their sights single-pointedly in that journey. I would suggest that this week we all read this chapter again and read the stories once more and just go through each line, meditate on them, meditate on the lessons that Babaji and Lahiri Mahashaya and Yogananda are sharing here. Let's keep Babaji alive a bit more in the next few days because we have not finished this chapter. So that means that next uh, Saturday... Even we'll... the following chapter is still continues yeah. Babaji. So we so. have his energy now more present than before. So I would say let's, let's use this momentum that all of us are building. Let's start perfecting our way to call out to Babaji with that reverence. Let's give more conscious awareness to the way we pray, the way we talk to him. Let's start working very seriously to get ready to meet him if that moment comes. And let's start, you know, thinking what are all those things that we need to just you know, jump, you know, throw off that cliff and make a real transformation the next few weeks as much as we can because his blessings are there and he's waiting for our self-effort. So let's, let's very seriously use in the next few days, weeks to, to do something worthwhile with our discipleship with our practices, with our love for God and our love for this line of gurus. And let's show them that this life that we have chosen really matter to us.